Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Hope you're having a great day, whether you are listening on the treadmill or in the car or making dinner. Appreciate you uh, making us a little tiny part of the day. Hey, before we get to today's guest, let me remind you that our new book, The Successful Speaker, is out. And I know you're probably sick of me talking about it, but we really want you to check this book out. If you are serious about speaking, we are serious about helping you get your message into the world. So the book is called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. And it walks you through a step-by-step -step process of exactly how you can book your gigs. Whether that's one gig, whether it's your first gig, or whether it's your hundredth gig, it is for you. So we've heard from several speakers who are brand new and speakers who are veterans and pros who said that there are still several little tips and tricks and tactics that they learned and, and took away as well. So uh, again, the book is The Successful Speaker out now. Go pick it up wherever books are sold. All right. So today we are talking with my friend Srini Rao. Srini runs the site uh, and the podcast, Unmistakable Creative. Uh, very smart, very wise guy. He's got a lot to say and a lot of uh, great insights that he shares. We talk about his speaking journey, how he got into speaking. We also spend some time where he talks about creativity and kind of this broad, big, vague, almost squishy type of topic. How do you pitch that to organizations and companies and how do you show uh, what the real value is of that topic? We, we talk about that. We also talk about how speaking fits into his business in terms of everything else that he does. Uh, we also talk about for him, he said that he's much more of an artist than an entrepreneur. But if you focus just on the speaking and not on the booking the gigs, you're not going to make any progress in your business. So we talk about how he has found the balance of that. We talk about how he has, he has kind of his framework and filter for picking out new projects and different things that he's going to potentially pursue in addition to speaking and building his business beyond the stage. So big, wide conversation. I think you're going to enjoy this. Let's jump right into this conversation with Serena. Rao of Unmistakable Creative. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, got my buddy Srini Rao hanging out with us from Unmistakable Creative. Srini, thanks for joining us. How are you today? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So first of all, let's get a big picture. Unmistakable Creative. You're uh, an author. You have the podcast. You have a lot of things going. Give us the big picture of, of what all you do within that and then how does speaking fit into that world? Yeah, I mean, I think that you mentioned the, you know, that I'm author, you know, podcaster, speaker. I think the, the real funny thing is that I am known for the unmistakable creative, but I, I want to, you know, emphasize this because I've always hated the term podcaster. I think it's incredibly limiting. I, I it's personally, I, I'm so much more than that. So, you know, what I think is that labels create limitations. So I always tell people I'm, you know, a storyteller who happens to use audio as a you know medium for telling my stories but i also happen to do it with speaking and writing and you know the whole reason the podcast started is because one of my friends uh, the guy who was the co-founder of the podcast said he's like you're an average writer but you're a great interview which is hilarious considering i write <laughs> books now um but you know to, to this day I, I still don't disagree with him like i am a much better interviewer than i am a writer i think that 
as an interview, it's one of those things that came very naturally to me. And, you know, writing was one of those things. It, it, this is what I always say is like, I write for myself, I do interviews for my audience, you know, and if my audience happens cool. to like my writing, then great. If not, I don't care. I don't know how that has actually led to a book deal. It's not a philosophy I think I would necessarily recommend. There, it, it's funny because in one way, it is the entire ethos of my, my second book. It's that's the core message of creating for an audience of one. So, you know, I think basically the, the way to describe it is if the podcast was the hub, then everything else is a spoke and speaking is one of those spokes that really honestly just kind of came about somewhat organically. I think that if you host a podcast, you, you know, if you're good at it, you inevitably start to develop communication skills. But yeah. Presentations always came very naturally to me. I was, you know, it's funny because I was just thinking back to college because I was just writing about this. I had a professor in a entrepreneurship class who said, you're a hell of a salesman. Now, I mistook that to mean I should go work in sales. And I realized after 10 years, I hated working in sales. But what I realized he caught on to was the fact that I just felt very comfortable in front of an audience. You know, my sister jokingly says she was like, I hate being this. She hates being the center of attention. And I was like, yeah, that's probably why I do what I do because I have absolutely no issues with it. <laughs> um, in fact, you know, we had her wedding and I actually turned her wedding into a paid speaking gig. Like my wedding, my speech for my sister's that's wedding funny. led to a speaking gig. I was like, the most profitable five minutes of my life. My friend's like, you charged your sister? I was like, no. But I understood. I was like, hey, I got a captive audience and, yeah. you know, I look good in a tux and I give great speeches. Nobody here stands a chance against me. <laughs> yeah. uh, now I want to dig into more like j just your, your story, kind of how you get into speaking, how speaking fits in. But I'm curious, as someone where, where the, the podcast is such a hub, do you feel like that the podcast has helped you to get speaking gigs? Yeah, I mean, it has. It's funny because I've been very, I, I've been very finicky about how we promote things on the podcast. And uh, like, I'm, you know, I try to avoid self-promotion almost to a fault. I'm getting yeah. to the point where I'm like, all right, you know what, now it's a non, you know, non-issue. When people get mad, I'm like, look, we're running a business, not a charity. Yeah. Uh, and if they get mad, you know what? I'm like, there's an unsubscribe button there. Like, if you're not enjoying it, because I, I think that's when people get, I always am appalled by people who complain about things they get for free. And they don't realize it's like, wait a minute, like you wouldn't go to your day job without a paycheck, would you? So right. why do you expect me to show up at my job without a paycheck? Yes, it has. I mean, a lot of the, the listeners have been people who work at associations. They hear, you know, we mention it. I, I need to get better about it. My accountant is like, dude, why is there not an ad for your speaking in every episode? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like mainly because we've been going through a lot of changes. We raised a round of venture funding recently. So, but the podcast is a bread and butter. I mean, that's kind of, you know, why everybody knows me. I mean, I'm basically famous through association. Nobody really knows who the hell I am. Are you strategic in like, you, you mentioned like sometimes you, you've done an ad for your speaking. Is yeah. that where speaking gigs have come from? Because I think sometimes it, just because you're like a great podcaster or just because you have a big podcast audience, people don't necessarily connect the dots. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a speaker. Yeah, so, is, is, so is there something that you're doing like a specific call to action to say, hey, so, yeah, for a speaker? Absolutely. Like, so I have had ads in the show where say, like, hey, you know, like one of my favorite ways to spread the message of the work that we do here is to, to, to speak to audiences. And I've spoken to audiences. Um, I also have a speaker's bureau as well, right? So I think the, the interesting thing about a bureau bureaus are interesting because like they come to you when you're already kind of on the path to being successful because mm -hmm. then they know they can book you and this is the the, the thing that i've talked to friends uh, i had a, a really good friend who was also a podcast guest and he was looking at writing a traditionally published book and I, I think his information is brilliant and i thought he was super smart i mean so much so that i introduced him to my literary agent and we talked about it i said look along the pros and cons like if you look at self-publishing, right? My self-published book actually was far more successful than my traditionally published books. It was a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It sold 15,000 copies, but it never led to paid speaking engagements. My traditionally published book, on the other hand, was a totally different story. It was kind of the thing that opened all the doors. 
And I'm not saying that you have to do that. That's the long route to get there. But keep in mind, I also was willing to go and speak anywhere where somebody would listen to me for the first couple of months, you know, or first yeah. couple of years, even it was like, Oh, will you do this for free? Will you do that for free? I was like, yes, 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 yes. Because it was all opportunities to practice, to rehunt, you know, to refine my message. I was the keynote for podcast movement. And so bit by bit, like you, you get all this practice, but, and in the meantime, I was building the platform to really kind of go through this. And now I'm getting much more strategic about it. So I'll give you a very crystal clear example you know, when you're the sort of creativity speaker, it's the, the thing that I think is very difficult to do or the challenge you often face is, okay, how do I tie this to a business result? How do I make a yeah. business case yep. for you guys hiring me? And so I went and looked and I was like, okay, you know, the one thing that I think I could write about that would be really, really valuable and potentially a great lead magnet was to write about the ROI of creativity at work because I happen to be an interesting anomaly in that I am both a practitioner and somebody who is running a company, uh, you know. Yeah. And when I went and looked at what was out there and I, you know, and this is one of those things people are like, Oh, somebody's already done that. And my attitude is, well, that's great. I can do it a thousand times better. It was like, you know, somebody who is like some corporate executive or some person who's like a researcher at some, you know, market research company, one of, you know, places where I've probably been fired from, they're writing about the ROI of creativity at work. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're not even a creative person and you're going to write about this. So I was like, okay, your research will back this up, but I will actually write it in a way that makes it super tactical, super actionable and shows, you know, okay, here's the business case, but more importantly, here's how you do this. And so we put together a really beautifully illustrated ebook called the ROI of creativity at work with like illustrations and like, you know, proper design and typography. And I sent it to my speakers bureau and I said, look, how about we send this to your clients as a lead magnet? Because the thing is, then it's kind of like, oh, Srini's interesting and he's fun and he's creative and he's inspiring, but it's like, wait a minute, holy crap, there's a real case for how to take the information he's giving us and like actually launching new products, you know, generating revenue from bringing yeah. this guy in. So that's, that's an example of being a bit more strategic. And I'm thinking more along those lines more and more. I think that's just pattern recognition is something that emerges when you've talked to 700 people, when, especially when they've been as diverse as I have, you know, ranging from bank robbers to billionaires. I think part of it is I would say that I've been a really great creative and a terrible business person for a long time. But the moment you take an investor's money, that all changes. You just are forced to behave very differently. So I, you know, I use objectives and key results. And you know, I was joking with my friend, Matt, he was like, oh, we'll collaborate on something. I was like, I'm not going to do a damn thing if it's not aligned with my OKRs. And I've literally sent people emails, people who are friends who are, you know, people, podcast guests who are like, hey, can you take a few minutes to talk about this mighty network? Would you be willing to set up a meeting? And I literally told a friend, I was like, it's not that I don't have the time, it's that I don't have the desire because this meeting won't generate any revenue. So if you could just ask me your questions via email, I would appreciate it. I'll even send you a video. I thought he would be offended. Instead, he was impressed. And I think that that's, you know, again, like I'm at that point now to the point where I literally even have my email separated into two emails. The reason you got that email from me this morning is yeah. I have one email for people who give me money and another for people who don't. <laughs> you know, Dan Kennedy literally said he filtered his money by, or his email by, is this somebody trying to get me to do something and, or somebody who gives me money? And I was like, why even filter? Let me just set up a separate email address. Yeah. And you know what? I get a lot less email now from people yeah. who, and my autoresponder on the other email says, you know, if I responded to every email, I'd be responding to email for a living. Yep. And I'm not interested in doing that. Yeah. And to that point, like you, you sent me an email right before we started recording here. Uh, I replied back and I, I read through your autoresponder there. Uh, I was like, that's really well done. The, I ought to pull it up here. Whatever the first line was, was really, really good. Nobody ever made a difference. Nobody, Nobody ever changed, changed the world, the world by checking, world. checking but Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is and so it's true. true. Yeah, yeah but think about how much time people waste on it every day. You know, like I'm, you know, part of my speaking is around this topic. So I happen to be very privy to how to do this. And it's like, I'm basically living what I, what I teach. Yeah. 
Now, how much speaking are you typically doing and who are you typically speaking to? So this is the weird thing about my message. And this is why I've been really trying to get it down to like sort of, hey, what's the ROI? Like, what's the problem I solve? You know, and that's yeah. the, that's hard to do when you're the creativity speaker. It's kind of like, oh, you know, I had my first book was much more sort of big idea, right? Like people are like, oh, it's kind of like a Seth Godin book. Not that I'm anywhere near comparable to Seth, but, you know, Seth will take an idea and kind of distill it and he gives you a compass more than a map. And that yeah. is really what my first book, Unmistakable, was, which was all about, you know, how do you make things that are distinctive and stand out in the world. And because of the, the sort of broad application of that message, you know, I mean, who doesn't want to stand out in a sea of noise? It's essential to the survival of every brand, business, or creator. If you don't stand out, particularly on the internet, you're simply not going to exist, you know, or you'll be completely ignored. Like you'll become a pale imitation of the people that you look up to or be yeah. completely ignored. And so the range of people that brought me in to talk about this have included electric cooperatives, healthcare companies, investment banks, professional associations. Those are big ones. Event planners, for some reason, people who do events related to events really like me because my take on events is like pretty much everything that people do in terms of conferences is bullshit and broken. And they appreciate the message. Like one of the things I've railed on constantly is the hotel ballroom. And I'm like, who thought of this idea? This is like the worst idea ever for an event venue. Yeah. And everybody is like, yes, yes, we agree with this. And I show them kind of how, you know, we would do events if, if you know, we didn't do this. And they're all like, oh yeah, and then so whoever sees me speak at the previous conference will invite me to speak at theirs. And of course, the event is in a hotel ballroom. And I'm like, well, thank you. But clearly, <laughs> you didn't you know, get the message. I, I realize it's hard to change. So that's one group. But it really honestly has been very, very broad, which has its pros and cons. Like I can yep. speak to anybody. And then, of course, the downside of that is, oh, you know, this is why I've been working so hard of, okay, let me figure out this sort of ROI of creativity at work thing. And I spent a month working on it. I'll send it to you if you want. Like you can, you know, share it with people. I want to dig into that, but I'll, I'll, I'll bite and I'm going to take the rabbit trail for a second. So if, if ideally conferences shouldn't be in a, in a hotel ballroom, where should they be? What do you, what do you say in that? Time? Well, I mean, you and I met at uh, tribe, right? Like think about mm -hmm. that venue and compare it to yeah, you know, tribe Jeff Goins conference, compare that to like the average industry conference, right? Yeah, so yeah. I'll give you another example. I went to uh, an event by fast company called innovation uncensored and it was you know in, in like the metreon you know it was like kind of just a boring corporate room and i was like okay everybody wanted i like i wanted to gouge my eyes out by lunch I was yeah. like, this is so boring and people are just sitting here all day and somebody actually came up to me at lunch and he was just like so what do you think of the event and he was you know involved and i was like well do you want my honest opinion and he said yes and he didn't realize what he was about to get himself into i was like you call it innovation uncensored but this isn't innovative or uncensored you know, it's like the same bullshit that I've always done. I honestly, I wish I hadn't come because it was so boring. But I mean, people like somebody once tried to tell me oh, a venue is just a container. And I was like, no, that's nonsense. A venue is anything but a container, you know, because environment has a profound impact on our thinking and our behavior. And if you put people in an environment where they're conditioned to sitting in chairs all day, eagerly anticipating happy hour where they're going to get drunk and exchange business cards, that literally is like, when is this going to be over? You know, it yeah. doesn't matter how interesting the speakers are. Like, I, I spoke to a group one of the requirements for this event was that we all had to, the speakers all had to be there and attend the whole thing for two days. I vowed that I would never do that again because of my attention span. I was like, this has been literally, I opened my speech by saying yesterday was really difficult for me because I, I have a really tough time. Yeah. So I think that that whole structure of, you know, listen to keynotes all day, take a 10 minute bathroom break and a break for lunch is really, really broke. Yeah. The venue is a good place to begin changing that. The thing is like, right. If you're, if the goal of an event is, innovation, collaboration, connection, then yeah. how can you do that in an environment that's not conducive to that? Hotel ballrooms don't lead to that. Right. You know, you're like sitting in these circular tables, like, you know, way across from each other. I think pretty unanimously, if you talk to most event coordinators, like, yeah, hotel ballrooms suck. 
Worst idea ever, though, is to tell a bunch of hoteliers that conferences shouldn't be held in hotel ballrooms. I never got invited back after that one thing. I did that for an event, and I was like, uh, all right, I don't know how to convince you guys, but even a hotel ballroom, like, you could really rethink how you did it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And this stuff takes effort. The funny thing is people will blame budgets and best practices and all this nonsense, and, and the reality is it's not any of those things. It's like, okay, so I have a friend who custom illustrates every name tag for his conferences. Wow. You know, and the thing is, like, we never threw those away, you know? I mean, yeah. yeah, it's small. Yeah, that takes effort. But, like, look at, here we are five years later, and I'm telling you about it. Right, right. You know, Interesting. most conferences don't, like, even if you look at something as simple as signage, signage is such a wasted opportunity to be creative. It's like, oh, here's a headshot of this dude and the title of his talk with the bullet points. And I was like, no, why yeah. would you do that? What a waste, you know? <laughs> I want to go back to one of the things you touched on earlier about you are someone who speaks on creativity. It's something that for speakers who find themselves in that spot of my topic is very broad and it could hypothetically appeal to everyone, in which mm -hmm. case the opposite is true that it could appeal to no one. Right. How have you kind of figured out like, yes, this is for everyone, but I, if I make it for everyone, it's going to, right. it's going to become difficult to actually get gigs. And people always assume like the bigger the, the topic or the more audiences I can speak to, the more opportunities I have, but yeah, the opposite is really the case. So the more, yeah. It's counterintuitive, but the more narrow, the more clear, the more focused you are, the easier yeah. it is to actually find gigs. So how have you taken, okay, here's this big, broad topic that really appeals yeah. to everybody, businesses, individuals, so on and so forth, right. and found a, a narrow lane with it? That's, that's a good question. And like I said, I mean, this is a question that I myself have been trying to wrestle with. And you know, that's why when I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, let me figure out how do I tie this to a business result? I think that's one of those key things is, okay, how do I tie it to you know, a result that somebody wants? You know? And right. I was like, okay, if people want more creative employees, happier workforce and more revenue, I can build my workshop around those outcomes. So I think it's thinking of, okay, what outcomes could my topic lead to for somebody? And then how could I build you know, sort of a presentation or you know, keynote around that? So that's, that's part of it, right? I honestly, you know, sometimes speakers bureau will send you to somebody and you're like, okay, I don't understand why these people want me. Like I, you know, when I went to a big bank and I was like, this is the weirdest group ever for me to be invited into. Like, I was like, nobody would ever hire me to work here yet. They'll hire me to come in and, you know, speak for a day. The other thing is that like, they had a lot of the same problems that I just was solving with my work. You know, I think that this is a tough one. I think part of it is trial and error, right? I think part of it is, is really when you do get to speak to audiences, understand why do they hire you? This is one thing I always ask people when I do an onboarding call is why did you guys want me? Like, yeah. what is the purpose of bringing me there? Because when, especially when you get invited to bizarre things, but you know, in certain cases, I understood exactly why somebody brought me in. So for example, a large media conglomerate brought me in and I was like, oh, I'm a content creator. Of course, a media company would want to talk to me. Like I sure. have a very unique perspective on creation that I think is in invaluable for large media companies because they're right now wrestling with people like us, you know, yeah. we're their biggest threat because what we're doing is we're fragmenting the entire landscape and they need to know how to stand out because truth be told, like if Seth Godin didn't blog tomorrow morning, we would all probably be really sad. If Buzzfeed went out of business tomorrow, none of us would give a shit. We really wouldn't because there's no personal relationship. It's not, it's not one of those things. It's become so mainstream that it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I want to go back to one of the things you touched on earlier that you said, that you're more of an artist than an entrepreneur. You yeah. took on some venture capital, so now all of a sudden I got to start paying attention to the other side of it a little bit more. I find a lot of speakers find themselves in that spot of they're much more of an artist. I'm really good on stage. I like speaking. I like interacting with people. I suck on the business side of it. I suck on finding and booking gigs, on taking care of clients, and that side of it. Yet that is a very, very, very necessary evil. That's part of it. Otherwise, you know, you're out of business. So 
other than like having to take on venture capital that causes you to pay attention to it, how did you, for the past several years, how did you kind of manage and balance that? Of like, I love this side, I suck at this side, but I have to do this side well, in order to I have mean, a business. Well, there are a couple of things, you know, I mean, one is, is that I always made sure that I got references, you know, referrals from people that I had spoken to in the past. That's something I learned from, you know, other people like Pete Vargas, who I know is it's kind of in, in the same field as you are. Mm-hmm. I, I got to be honest, this is not my forte. Like it's something that I've struggled with, you know, yeah. partially, you know, I had, I had a good, my, you know, the first speakers bear I worked with the first year, they did absolutely phenomenal. And then I had a really, really bad year to the point where I finally ditched them because it was so bad. But the thing is that, you know, like I, the funny thing is for people who hate this outreach type of stuff, right? There's small ways you can do it, subtle ways, like, you know, links in your newsletters that go out to your audience, yeah. like mentions on, one of my friends is like, you have a massive platform, like you really should be leveraging your podcast because there are tons. I mean, when you have thousands of people listening every week, many of them are people who can literally hire you to come and speak. And yeah. a lot of them will say, oh, you know what? I it jogged my memory when I heard this or, but I think it's a combination of that and referrals. But the other thing is, you know, I think I remember talking to you and you had such a simple little thing that literally I, that was the one thing I remember going you know, away from the tribe. I was like, okay, that was worth the trip out here just to hear that one little nugget to make this simple is, you know, you had literally said, oh, you know, when people are, when you're reaching out, just say, hey, when are you going to be reviewing speakers for your event? Now, the funny thing about that is even that is mind-numbingly boring for somebody yeah. like me, but you can hire somebody to do that. You know, it's kind of like, here's one of the things I think we make in terms of big mistakes. And this is one thing you start to learn when you are the CEO of a company. Like I jokingly say I'm the most useless employee at my company and I should be because there are only three things I do well. And that's writing, speaking and interviewing. And the funny thing is if you break those up into the component parts, like there are all these small ancillary bits, right? Like publishing it on WordPress, like scheduling it and convert to whatever little things that it makes no sense for somebody with your skill level to do, right? It's kind of like, okay, if you're getting paid $7,000 an hour to speak, then why would you be doing a $10 an hour job of sending emails to people or cold calling? You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, there's actually literally, it's funny because there's a, a service called overpass.com that just, I saw it was, it was all about scaling your sales efforts. And I supposed to schedule a call with them today or whenever. And I was like, listen, I was like, send me a damn loom video. I don't want to schedule a call with you. I just want to know how to book an interview with the people that I want to interview. I was like, I just don't have the time for this. Yeah. But part of it is knowing, okay, like, and then of course, I think the biggest thing that most people don't realize is that you need systems to support everything that you do. You know, there's a guy, Victor Chang, who's like, you know, Mm -hmm. helped multiple Silicon Valley scale from a million to a hundred million dollars. And he has a book called Extreme Revenue Growth. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, one of the very first things he does with everybody, which seems so counterintuitive is he actually has them document every single process. And part of the reason he does that, he makes, he poses a really good question. He says, you know, let's say that your business was a hundred times the size it is today. Are you like, do you have the systems to support it? I realize if we had a hundred times the traffic, if I had a hundred times the amount of speaking inquiries, I am definitely not set up for that yeah. right now. You know, and I realize that. So, you know, part of what we're doing right now is saying, okay, document every process from how we create blog posts to all that. Because, you know, bit by bit, I think as you evolve in your own work, you have to start to remove yourself from things that don't generate money. Yeah. Um, meetings, you know, anything that is unnecessary, you know, so we, you know, I have a virtual assistant who does things like update my calendar and it took me a long time to get my head around, oh, an assistant can do this. Like there's an article that somebody wrote, you could probably find it. I think it's called your path to the $1,000 an hour mindset. And I thought that was really interesting because what he does is he says at the end of every week, you know, go look at, you know, it basically make four columns separated into $10 an hour tasks, $100 an hour tasks, and $1,000 an hour tasks and $10,000 an hour tasks, right? And then look at which ones you did, what you did each week. Now, there are some nuances here. Like, so for example, I don't want anybody else to do my writing. I like it. You know, if you really enjoy something, that's, you know, 
that kind of is priceless. But yeah, well, like for example, calling customer service at Verizon, that's like an hour of your day dealing with just utter bullshit that doesn't do anything for your life. And so I think the biggest issue to me, one of the biggest issues that keeps people from doing anything is that they're distracted. They have too many things they're working on and they don't have systems to support the things that they want to accomplish. So it's a combination of things. Like I wish I could sum it up for you in like one little sort of soundbite of, Oh, how did I solve this problem? And I can't because it's a problem that I'm still working on solving myself, but you do make a critical point. You know, I think that there is this, Here's what it is. If you think about it this way, right? It's pretty simple. You need leads and you need to know your conversion percentage and you know whatever that is. And that's basically how you build it. So like for this ROI of creativity book, right? One of the things I thought is, well, why don't we set up a landing page and drive Google ads to it? And for each person who submits their email address, I now have a lead that I can follow up with about this ebook and see if they'd be interested in booking me. And at the end of the book, it literally says, you know, interested in building a more creative company, learn more about Srini Rao's, you know, keynotes. Yeah. I'm curious also from the standpoint of uh, as your business has grown, as your platform has grown, there's no shortage of things that you could do. Yeah. Things that you could do specifically and just your company in general could do. So whether that's, again, writing, writing blog posts, writing books, doing podcast interviews, you know, yeah. advertisements, speaking, courses, coaching, consulting, all the things that you could do. Yeah. I'm curious, is there any t- kind of, of mental filter that you've kind of yes. gone through to determine, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Like that would be value. I could see how that could move the needle, but is it the right thing for us? To do? Right. How, do you, so, how do you think about that? No, ab- absolutely. It's funny you say this because I've literally just finished writing a blog post for um, Range, which is a, a tool that helps you deal with this exact problem. It's basically teamwork simplified, but they have objectives and key results. Like, you know, most people have either heard of OKRs or mm-hmm. you know, kind of familiar with them. So, you know, I kind of looked at it. So when you've done what I've done, right, you know, interviewed self-help authors, written self-help books yourself, you've been exposed to virtually every mental model for goal setting. But then I thought about it, I was like, okay, wait a minute, like the billion dollar enterprises of Silicon Valley all use this system of OKRs. You know, John Doerr, the mo- one of the most success- successful venture capitalists in the world wrote this book. And I'm like, okay, if Google, Facebook, everybody is using OKRs, maybe we should try this instead of all these ridiculous systems that all these self-help authors write about. What's interesting about this is it's complicated at first, but then when you actually sit down and do it, so I'll, I'll kind of give you the, the lay of the land here. I'll, I'll put it into a concrete example. Two things, you know, so we're moving all our online community off of Facebook and into Mighty Networks. So we have a community manager and our objective with the community, with the online community that we're building there is to make our Mighty Network an indispensable resource for our listeners. Now, so your objective basically is a sort of aspirational, you know, thing that gets you up in the morning. It's inspiring. A key result is completely different. A key result is actually your outcome that you're aiming for. And, you know, Marissa Mayer, the third employee of Google and former Mm -hmm. CEO of Yahoo says, basically, if it doesn't have a number attached to it, it's not a key result. So for example, in the case of our Mighty Network, our, our private listener tribe, a key result would be you know, 500 members by December 31st, right? Yeah. And so basically another key result. So basically every objective has maybe three or four supporting key results. Our other one was we want 20 people to become ambassadors and help refer new listeners. And the other one was 10 people into our paid program. Now, the interesting thing about having this as your filter is that every time you sit down to plan your day and you look through this, you look at your to-do list and you're like, okay, does every single thing I'm doing here align with this? If not, why am I doing it? Yeah. Suddenly, like your lists become a lot smaller. Uh, and so that's one example. But let's take it to speaking as an example, right? So one of the things that I you know, said was, okay, my key result, my objective is to reach a larger group of people through speaking. 
my key result was, okay, I want 12 inbound leads by this date and I want three gigs booked by the end of Q1. Now, what are the ways that I could do that? Well, the number one thing I was doing that was driving that was working on this ROI of creativity post. So even when I made my list in the day, I would look at that key result and say, okay, did I actually do something that has the potential to lead to this? And so as a result, and literally I, I, that was all every day um, until this ROI of creativity thing was done. That was one of the things that I put on my list to work on was to keep finishing this and keep poking at it and keep finishing, you know, keep hammering because I knew that I was like, okay, if I do this right, this could be a really powerful lead generation tool and I'm going to send it, you know, another, so now that it's done my key, so let's say, you know, my daily activity. So this is the way I described it in the, in the blog post I'm writing, right? Is your objectives will determine your key results and your key results will determine your key activities and your key activities will determine how you spend your time each day. And so that's the filter. Say that again. Your objectives determine your key results. Okay. Your key results will determine your key activities and your key activities are how you spend your time each day. Got it. And every one of them aligns, right? And so literally, so, you know, basically, for example, if you say, okay, I want to do $1,200 in course sales, one of the activities today was, oh, change the bottom of our email newsletter. Um, so the CTA is a bit clearer for the course sales, you know, or add it to a newsletter that we didn't see it in, you know, the last few weeks yeah. and see what happens. Uh, another thing was like, oh, set up a free trial for this course. Let's see how that moves in you. And these are all things that basically you look at the activity and you say, okay, if I do this activity, does it have any potential to move the needle on this key result? If not, then maybe it's the wrong activity. So that's, to me, that's been one of the most effective filters I've found. And just to, to kind of, you know, bring it full circle with the Mighty Network, you know, we set a goal of 500 by the end of December. We were at 500 by the beginning of December. We're at like mm-hmm. 900 now. We had set a goal for 1,000 by the end of January. It's January 6th and we're like, you know, 30 subscribe, you know, users away from 1,000. For our, you know, paid members, we had set a goal of 10 and we were at 14. And then our ambassadors was the only one that kind of didn't go as, as we hoped. And, you know, but the thing is now every week when I meet with my community manager, our agenda is, okay, this is key result one, that's topic number one. This is key result number two, that's topic number two. This is key result three, that's topic number three. And then based on those topics, we come up with our action items and just divide and comp the week. So that to me is probably the most effective filtering system. And what I think that this requires is relentless and ruthless prioritization to the point where you might even come across like an asshole. You got my autoresponder. If you didn't know me, it makes me look like a dick. But I make it very clear that it's more or less... I'm not going to respond to this unless somehow this involves you giving me money because I've realized it's so easy to get distracted by all sorts of things. Now, am I a horrible person? No. I mean, talk to any person who prioritizes their time, you know, and that, that's really what this is about. Relentless prioritization to the point where, like I said, if you offend people, so be it. You can't sit around like, you know, with kid gloves on. Yeah. This isn't a high school popularity contest. If you were serious about this, that's, that's kind of how it has to be. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Srini, this has been very interesting and fascinating. I appreciate you, you sharing this with us. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, you have a phenomenal podcast. You said that's the hub. You got a lot of spokes out from that, including several books. Uh, where can we go to find out more about you? So podcast is at unmistakablecreative.com. You can subscribe to it in iTunes or wherever podcasts are available, depending on what device you use. And then, you know, everything else you can find on the website, unmistakablecreative.com, you know, for my speaking. And I think you said you'll link up our Make More Art book for people. That's completely free. doesn't require any opt-in. And then, you know, if you want, I can even send you guys the ROI of creativity at work. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We'd love to include that. That, uh, that sounds really, really fascinating. I think especially like you mentioned for people who are creatives or who come from like an artist mentality of thinking about how do I connect the dots to, especially if you're speaking in the business space of what that looks like. So yeah, that'd be awesome. We'd love to, love to share that, man. That'd be, that'd be great. Great. Cool. Thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely. 
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Srini. Again, I'd encourage you to check out his work over at unmistakablecreative.com. Check out the podcast, the different books there. We will include some of the the links that we talked about there in the show notes. You can go find that over at thespeakerlab.com as well. Also, don't forget to pick up the new book, The Successful Speaker. It's out everywhere. If you're looking for a guide, a handbook, a tool and resource to show you exactly how to find and book gigs, then The Successful Speaker is the book that you need. All right, my friends, thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate it. We'll uh, catch you next time. You're awesome. 